I want you, if you will, with me, Magnus, let's take a strange trip. Back Ooh. to 1991. Oh, Christ. I want you to think of that. yourself in 1991. <laughs> I will think of myself, but I will not say my age. Um, I will just <laughs> say that I was very, very young. And so in 1991, what you had was in TV, a whole bunch of stand-up comedians were kind of getting TV shows, essentially, yeah. and taking their brand from the stage onto the small screen. Um, it wasn't big for all of them. Like, I think Mad About You came out of Paul Reiser's stand-up shtick. A lot of them ended up moving to, like, SNL for a season or two. But there were a couple, like Andrew Dice Clay, that had this weird machismo, stunted male growth thing going on that got really popular. And one of them was Tim Allen. Um, mm. Of course, at the time, we weren't calling it that. People thought it was really funny. Tim Allen's character especially had this, like, grunting chimpanzee ape noise that he did when he thought he was especially funny. And people really <laughs> loved that. People like glommed on to Gallagher with the smashing of the uh, watermelons, and they really glommed on to Tim Allen because um, Andrew Dice Clay was a super abrasive sketch character in the same way that like um, uh, Triumph the Triumph the Dog became uh, much later in the '90s. So people really liked what Tim Allen was delivering. So in 1991, Tim Allen premiered his show where he played Tim the Toolman Taylor. And Home Improvement, which ran for uh, eight seasons until 1999. And I remember mm -hmm. this because my family literally stopped what we were doing to watch the finale all together of Home Improvement. I was that we were that big a fan in our family of the show, <laughs> uh, which has not aged well, which we can talk about at some point. But basically, Tim Allen's stand up became Tim the Toolman Taylor and his whole thing. Uh, it led to his career at Disney. It led to the movie we're going to talk about today, which is the best Faustian bargain Christmas movie you've ever seen. Um, mm -hmm. And yep. it's so I remember uh, earlier in the season, I talked about the first Wives Club as female wish fulfillment for divorced moms, essentially. Um, and so I'm going to say the Santa Claus is male wish fulfillment for divorced dad, because there's no other way to put this. Um, I don't think this movie ages as well as people remember it in fondness. It's kind of the opposite of Muppet mm. Christmas Carol. Um, but today yes. we're going to talk about 1994's The Santa Claus. And on the theatrical release poster, they really, really want you to know that E is at the end of Santa Claus. Because um, it's very <laughs> prominent in this poster. This is quite a classic in many ways. Um, but I'm not sure, as you say, I'm not sure... It's necessarily a classic that's aged, as well as some other yeah. things that we discussed and some other things that we could discuss. Um, I was watching um, the I was watching uh, Whitney's Cinderella the other night, and as very like low cost and panto as it is, it feels as great as the first time I watched it when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, but then having rewatched this as an adult. Um, I had some reservations, shall we say. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> have to say, uh, the Wikipedia page basically has glowing reviews of this film, 
and the mm. synopsis they give really does uh, gloss over the very troubling elements, especially in the late second and third acts of the Santa yeah. Claus. Uh, this movie made $190 million in 1994. This was the crown jewel yeah. both in Tim Allen's brand and of the director of Home Improvement, who was also the director of this film. Mm. Uh, and so Tim Allen brought along his own director to this movie, uh, also directed Tim Allen and Jonathan Taylor Thomas in Jungle to Jungle. Where was Jonathan Taylor mm. Thomas? No. Uh, so in Jungle to Jungle is one where Tim Allen is the hapless dad to the kid from the jungle. It was, it was mm. a very good 90s for Tim Allen. And then mm. it was not a very it's... good 2000s for Tim Allen after that. I, I was, I was going to say, this was pretty much the pinnacle of his career um this was like the height of his fame and popularity and he did go down quite badly from here well, he and um, kelsey he and kelsey graham were both suffer from that same foot and mouth disease where if they had just not voiced their opinions people would have mm -hmm. loved them for a very long time but kelsey and tim had that same trajectory so have other people but one of them passed away mm -hmm. this week and people are mourning so i'm not going to mention it um, but just to be aware that as much as people want to say Hollywood is this massive liberal enclave, especially with Disney at the helm of a lot of things, it's not quite as liberal as people want. Uh, but Tim Allen oh, and Kelsey, Tim Allen and Kelsey Grammer's downfalls um, today, especially today, especially focused on Tim Allen. Um, mm -hmm. The Santa Claus is a classic. I will give it that. People do watch it. I have watched it. Um, I was one of the many people that were in line. They did merchandise for the Santa Clauses, which is like the TV show based off of the three movies, because this was a trilogy of movies in which the last one is awful, and the second one is less troubling than this one. Mm. Um, and so they did a whole bunch of merchandise for the Santa Clauses, the Disney Plus show that's going to come out, uh, which is not mm. being reviewed well from what I'm seeing, but they had the hot cocoa mug, that the the silver hot cocoa mug that Judy makes hot cocoa in, and I kept trying to get one, and it was always sold out before I could. Um, so there <laughs> is yearning for both merchandise and fondness for this very troubling single dad fantasy film, which is essentially <laughs> what it is at its very core. Once you get rid of the gossamer uh, wrap paper and the hilarity of farting reindeer, because that's what Blitzen's job here is in this film. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's basically it's basically a it's not a kidnapping plot, but there's very much shades of Tim Allen yes. has definitely gone to jail for a couple of things that happened in this film. So yes, so I suppose good question is where to start really in dissecting this uh, surprisingly convoluted and complex. I think um, I'd like yeah. to start. Um, so this is where it's interesting is that uh, part mm. of the Santa Claus mythos is when people tear apart Disney movies, this is the one they like to tear apart. Uh, Cinema Sins did this on YouTube, which is known for just not getting it. Uh, I would like to start with the Denny's scene, actually. I think the Denny's scene is kind of the pinnacle of the first act of how mm. inept Tim Allen's uh, Scott Calvin is. And it's a whole thing about um, this clueless dad trying to bond with a son who is clearly not happy being with his father um, yes 
And it's not that Scott does anything wrong. He's just not good at anything he attempts to do in the realm of either connecting with or even making cookies for his son, which in the 90s, when you got a tube of Pillsbury cookie dough, half the time it came with the cookie cutter in it so you could make the cookies. And it there's literally <laughs> no reason that he should have burned a turkey. Like, you could buy a turkey at this point in the 90s. Like, there was no reason he had to do what he did. Um, mm. but, the, but the Denny scene is both kind of the height of the comedy of them not getting along, but it's also... Yes problematic in a way because mm. um the, the waitress is fine but they're like using denny's uh but but i've never been to a denny's that would not know on christmas eve to stock up a pie i've never been to a denny's that was as nice as that denny's looked in the film yes. it's a weird product placement it, angle it's... to take in this movie to say here's denny's yeah. look how awful it is bring your child to yeah, so it's the dive which um, divorcees go to with their children, and it's sort of a weird look to allow your diner to be part of. I mean, they they could have called it Donnie's they, or something. They paid a lot of money it. to basically get crapped on for ten minutes. They paid a lot of money. Yeah, for that. it's it's very weird. Yeah, that this is a was great. the top of Tim Allen's brand, so they paid a lot of money yeah. Disney. Mm. I don't know how much, but Denny's if... paid a lot of money for that. You do have to wonder whether the the Denny's executives were aware of um, <laughs> were aware of how they're going to be portrayed before they went into the movie. I'm I don't know. I'm presuming they didn't because I can't see that if I owned a brand that I'd be very happy with that sort of portrayal. Um, but I agree that that scene to me is a it it's sad. It's a it's a it's a nice little touch of unfortunate comical cynicism. Um in that, you know it, in a way the aesthetic really does capture um what um to that what Tim Allen's character's yeah. relationship is with his son and everything, and it. Well, it something interesting wasn't... about mm. something interesting about the Tim Allen brand that's different in the Santa Claus versus Home Improvement, which is why I bring up yeah. Home Improvement, is that Tim's denigration of his harried upon master degree seeking wife in Home Improvement and his relationship with his boys, which is so strong, again in mm. Home Improvement, here is the opposite. He can't connect with his son until he's Santa Claus, essentially. He doesn't connect with the other men in this film at all. He is kind of on his island. Even Bernard, who is kind of playing this wonderful femel, and I have a lot of thoughts about how much how great Bernard is, and I'm really glad that um, of the people in this movie whose careers survive, uh, the character, the, the actor that played uh, Bernard, David Crumholz, I think has had one of the strongest career trajectories after yes. this film. So, yeah, I do see where you're coming from with like the problematic elements in this scene. I think it might eat this scene though might be, dare I say, one of the strongest in the film, just for sort of setting the mood for where everyone is, shall we say that and the preceding scene of um Tim having the argument with his ex-wife and everything and such and just showing himself to be a very 
basically completely out of his depth. Uh, pretty much at all points in this film, he's out of his depth, except for when he embraces his put-upon destiny, shall we yeah. say. <laughs> um, I, I think the first act of this movie, I think people really like the second act because you get all that Christmassy stuff, you get the wonder. I think the version yeah. of the North Pole that the Santa Claus does is particularly strong. Uh, yes. But I think the best act of this movie really probably is the setup, this first act. Because whereas Tim Allen, when you go back and watch Home Improvement, Tim the Toolman Taylor is really not a great guy. Um, constantly hassling his wife, constantly causing destruction. The kind mm. of person that you'd want to get children away from, pretty much, just mm. in case. Uh, Scott Calvin is just there are shades of Santa in him and he's not necessarily a bad guy. He just does not... It's very much the trope of like the 90s man. It's like taking that kind of yeah. Kevin uh, Kevin from Queens uh, put upon trying to hold on to his youth but not knowing how to embrace middle-aged 90s guy. Um, mm. The problem is now looking back at it in 2022, it's like, oh, that is not great but looking at it in 94 we weren't really talking archetypes yeah. of people of dads especially that were much else than this except for like carl winslow um mm. on adam on um, family matters or if we were talking about like uh patrick duffy as the dad on step by step the uh, kind of 90s rebrand of uh of the brady bunch thing there mm. weren't like you had like a soft sitcom dad that was really cool, but then you had like the the, the sitcom dad that that was not that still had a lot to learn. It, it, it's it's kind of like the three dads of Full House are like one dad in three different bodies. It's very hard to explain. Nineties dads were just nineties dads just weren't great in a lot of ways. Like the and people mm. weren't really trying to buck the mold because the mold made money. Uh, people expected mm. certain things from your nineties dad, and you either got yeah soft femme bob saget or you got like hardcore tim the tool man taylor grunting and not well, caring got, about his wife well you got homer simpson um yeah. you know the this well good-hearted but obviously a bit of adult uh, adult and such um or you got slightly later on past this um you had uh free ma three main male characters from friends who were all like quite you know this and that in their own way um they weren't i think by that point things were starting to change quite a bit yeah. but they still were sort of um they had their obvious flaws and such yeah so um, like in, in 94 this was what we'd call an archetype uh the yeah. bumbling dad kind of with the heart of gold and honestly, here is where the Santa Claus, it could have gone into It's a Wonderful Life territory. You don't, yeah. like it's called the Santa Claus and you have the theatrical release poster, but you can't really tell where it's going to go, if he's going to succeed no. at being Santa, or if we're going to have like a Jack Skellington thing happening where Santa's all, where Christmas is almost ruined. So like, yeah. I feel like the first act of this story before he like puts on the suit and before he kind of enters the world within a world is mm. I think it has probably the strongest elements of the film. If you're looking for how to set up characters easily that an audience can understand within a five minute yeah. time frame, um, I think this movie works well. Also, 
like as much as I'm denigrating the Denny scene, it's kind of part of a domino effect that happens throughout the film in the first act mm. of how things just get worse and worse. It's by yes. no means which Yeah. So gone. It's so by saying... no means a bad act. I no. think if you're looking for a <laughs> quick way to showcase to an audience what you want them to understand, uh Santa Claus knows its audience, knows mm. it can't be too like it, it really has to be like here is this guy who works in a toy shop, but he's like the antithesis of Santa, but we're gonna <laughs> make him Santa. Uh, it's it's old thing like where you can't like you have to make it as simple and not nuanced. Lack of nuance. Nuance was the word I was looking for. Because it's yes. not it's it's not subtle by any means. He's a man that markets magic to children, but in in in, in fact actually lacks yeah. magic within his own life and it's very grey and dull. Um and you were saying about a domino effect? Um yeah. And yeah, the domino effect that leads up to the accidental murder of Mr. of the former Mr. Claus. Well, apparently, yeah. it's this is going back to that Steve Gutenberg-y thing, where it's not necessarily like a family role, but it's something you get foisted upon you. Uh, in Single mm. Santa Seeks Mrs. Claus, which is a fun movie um, that I really want everyone in the world to see. Steve Gutenberg has the same problem, only he just happens to be a Claus already. Um the idea of taking Santa and making them into a legal entity is an interesting 90s take on the idea of a mythic hero. Um, mm. It's the opposite of what Marvel does, where they make him the strongest being in the universe as like the highest level Omega mutant to ever exist. Uh, but mm. it's, it's an interesting thing. It's also interesting to see, because at the beginning of the movie, when you meet Wendy Cruz and his Laura, um, I can't remember if uh, Judge Reinhold's Neil character, kind of the quote-unquote new dad, is there or not, but the juxtaposition between mm. Judge Reinhold's Neil clearly potentially being a better Santa, but then showing his quote-unquote true colors at the end in the third act, where he just refuses to believe, and he's the only one in the movie with the common sense to say, our son just got kidnapped, essentially. Like, <laughs> as you get older, the more times you see this movie, the more you realize you should probably be rooting for Judge Reinhold the entire time and not Tim Allen. Because mm. the thing that Scott Calvin does for people not in the know about magic is, like, yeah. it's not great. Like, you, no. I cannot specify this enough. It is not a great template for how to be a good divorced dad. Hmm. And the issue is that, yeah, if you're not in the know, it looks weird. It looks bizarre what his behavior is. Um, and, well, even if you are in the know, I have some thoughts about the um, <laughs> the sort of put-upon nature of the magic onto the unsuspecting uh, Mr. Calvin. But I can touch upon that in a second, in a different section. No, I, I think that I think that's a good transition because after Denny's, yeah. uh, after yes. Denny's is when we get the lovely, delightful monologue from Eric Lloyd's Charlie about um, if you're going to leave out cookies for Santa, make sure to uh, check your fire extinguisher first, uh, which is <laughs> just a great one-off line from a kid that is like really put upon and really just doesn't want to be there. Um, yeah. But then you do get the whole sequence with. And this is a criticism a lot of people have when they look back on these kind of movies is the idea of 
if Santa exists, why are you surprised he's on your roof at Christmas? But mm. to that, I always say, you do realize you're watching a fairy tale fable movie, right? It's not about whether the adults expect Santa to be there. The idea of his existence is not the... Because that's always kind of the main critique is why doesn't he why does he not expect Santa? Where does he think the presents come from? But in a kind mm. of movie like this, you really have to turn off your adult brain, or it really does start yeah. to pull threads that you don't want to pull. Um, mm. so like when he watches the Santa Claus, the divorce subplot is really gross. Um, the gaslighting is really gross. Uh, and I would I would venture to say that if you can get past that turn off your brain about the implications of whether Santa is real or not, because it doesn't matter for films like these. You just have to go into it realizing it doesn't matter. Hmm. Yeah. Good. But I, think... I don't think it does matter for films like these. Maybe it should matter. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I... Yeah, there's a lot... <sighs> What do you say about um, going into this movie and turning off your adult brain? I agree. I think if you can do that, then a lot of the, dare I say, questionable aspects, you can sort of ignore. Or if you're like, you know, really happy with family and everything, and you're just all sat down watching a movie together and things like that, then it's something that you can really overlook. I think it's when you start actually thinking about what's going on that unfortunately it starts to uh, sadly it starts to pull you out of the magic this is where santa claus 2 as a film is better because we start out with Mm. magic and santa claus 2 and the stakes don't feel any less high um Mm. i think santa claus 2 is a better film personally but santa claus 1 is the one we're talking about here today so yes i think what is by starting you off in a very non-magic setting um you know you're starting off with the story of a struggling divorcee dad and he's clearly got issues with his ex-wife and her new partner husband were they married i think they're i uh, i think she wants to get married but he's like holding up the divorce proceedings if yeah. i remember correctly like the mm. whole part of his fitness mm. as dad is part of these if i remember correctly i yeah. i can't recall it's clear but it's it's like a thing where the structure of the divorce and she would like to get married again to neil yeah. and scott is like he's not man enough to be the husband in this family um that's really the <laughs> subtext of all tim allen's work is who's man enough so hmm. um but then you also get that you see the child and see how he's struggling and everything i think because it sets you off in a very dare i say realistic and dramatic setting that does set your mind off you know you're if you start off with other movies where it's clearly you know it's christmas time or oh we're at the north pole and stuff like that your mind sort of clicks into a fantasy style of thinking and while there might be dramatic elements or dramatic situations to resolve like you're almost prepared to give them a bit more leeway, but by setting you off on a very, a very, almost like a somewhat of a serious note, to be honest, um, I think that gets you thinking a bit more. The whole movie starts off at an adult toy 
like 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 a toy company party like an adult christmas doesn't start off with the whimsy of santa you know the the mm. movie is not whimsical until it literally frat falls tim allen into the whimsy um yeah it's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's a very the whole first act for especially for a divorced kid in the 90s would be almost too realistic like this is what it was like, and you didn't have people to reach out to because there wasn't a big internet society you could reach out to to be like, I'm, you know, the kid divorced. How do I handle this? Um, by mm. the time you get to Act Two of this film, when they're finally at the North Pole and the fantasy kicks in, it's also about the fact that as a world within a world is successful only if you don't ask yourself the question about does Santa really exist in this universe and why are, why are parents always surprised by Santa? Mm. Um, and I think that that's, and... that's a hard question. People really want an answer to that question now. And in the yeah. 90s, it's... you weren't asking that question. You just accepted Santa was for kids and wasn't really for adults. Did, did they ever explain where Santa came from in this universe? Like the concept of Santa? Because there had to have been someone that started it off. I think probably it, so because of the nature of the cards that have all the information on them and, and they do that really cute scene that I absolutely love with like the descending uh, magnifying glasses that give the legalistic mm. thing. I have to imagine that it's even though they don't explain it, I have to imagine it's this takeoff of the idea of the Bishop St. Nicholas because there's nothing more churchly and legalistic than putting a message within a message within a message mm. that you only find if you stumble into it. There's nothing more Da Vinci Code than that. Yes. So I can't, I, they must have been like, we're going to take the concept of the bishop or the year without a Santa Claus and make it into like a thing with Tim Allen. Um, they never explain it. They might explain it in three. I didn't see the one where Martin Short plays Jack Frost and It's a Wonderful Life oh, Santa, mm. which is the concept of Santa Claus 3. So... It really is making me want to do a little bit more background reading just to get um, see if there is an answer buried somewhere in there. So hmm. the people that wrote the film, uh, Leo yeah. Benvenuti and Steve Redneck, the only hmm. other real big film they made, um, and people can disagree with me with this, but they made Space Jam in 96. And that's really their only yeah. other really big claim to Interesting. fame. So I don't know if that was part of the thought process, but if they said anything about it, they have not. Uh, they have not mm. said. Uh, but but what a writing team to have wrote the Santa Claus and then two years later come out with the first Space Jam. Um, <laughs> another troubling film with troubling implications, uh, but mm. not for another time. Indeed. Um. So I kind of want to at some point broach what my main um issue like the core one i mean there's like lots and lots and lots and i think we're going to touch upon them but i I want to at some point like broach what the, my main worry with the central premise of the film is i think this is the goodest time as any to do that because then i can mm. lead off of that into like a because there's some aesthetic stuff i really like and i don't just want to spend the hour talking about this film talking about what doesn't work because I think there's some mm. concepts that do. So, oh, yes. uh, yeah. And, let's and have, you, clearly... let's have you do your premise work. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's clearly, yes, you say aesthetic, and then um, there's clearly other things like with the elves and such, which 
work um to make it because it is something that people do like to go back and rewatch even if it hasn't aged 100 percent greatly as other things that we discussed her yeah. <sighs> okay so my main bugbear with the movie uh, the, the older i've got and rewatching it as an adult now is the the thing with the actual legality note of it the the santa claus itself um which is ba- it basically feels at many points in the movie like um scott calvin has got thrust into this role and the actions of the elves and such sort of reinforce this notion that if you know scott can back out of this clause if he really wants to but if he does that he's going to basically destroy tradition destroy christmas and ruin it for countless families around the world and as much as i can uh it's difficult to say because i sort of feel that in some ways it's a bit blackmail-y that how it's come across and put to him that he has to accept this role otherwise he's going to threaten the christmases of everyone um i think maybe a way that might help allay that is mm. outside of the context of this movie this is a prestige piece for tim allen essentially Mm. Uh, so if it had been another actor in the role of Scott Calvin, which it was almost not Tim Allen, if I remember correctly, I, d- I don't remember where I read that, but there were several people up for this role. Um, okay. I can imagine there are different versions of this movie based upon it. It's kind of like What Dreams May Come uh, with mm. Robin Williams going after his children uh, and his wife in the afterlife. And there's that really awful, horrific scene of the wife in hell. Uh, it's a beautiful movie, beautifully shot movie. Um, but the implications of the afterlife are quite startling if you think about it too hard. <laughs> so I think, in a way, the Santa Claus itself, with the E at the end, the legalistic, is twofold a reflection of Tim Allen's stand-up routine, kind of made manifest, but it's also a reflection of the B subplot with the divorce plotline. Um, and in a way, the Santa Claus itself is forcing Scott Calvin to grow up it's forcing him to accept a responsibility to something which he's having trouble doing in the divorce. And when they co-mingle mm. in act two is when things get really hard because the whole second act outside of uh, the Christmas village in the North Pole is really about legalism, about having to grow into role you're being hostage to grow into. But there's no other main lead in this movie. There's no point where we see Judge Reinhold's character enough that he could take over the role of Santa. There's no other man Mm -hmm. that Scott Calvin interacts with enough. He doesn't even have a mentor to go to. There's no, like, goodwill hunting, like, Santa, because every other Santa dies, and that's how it gets passed over. Um, Yeah. So there's no other, there's no missing scene with him talking with someone. But in the 90s, men weren't doing that. Like, if they were, it was happening no. on the real world with Pedro. There was no problem. There was probably no scope for the writers, I would say, to go, this is something we actually need to have him sit down with the previous Santa or something with. Because uh, even yeah. Bernard, who's like playing his administrative assistant, uh, welcoming him into the job, sees it yes. as more of a job. It's not like a companion role. 
We see that later, but he's more of a companion and contemporary to an older Charlie in two and three than he is necessarily a companion to Santa. Santa's a lone figure, save for his wife, mm. which is why two works. Because then in two, the resolution of two is him getting a companion that's an equal. Um, so yes, there are some very troubling implications with the Santa Claus itself, but it's part of the age of the movie is that yeah. there was just, I, except for the doctor even, who doesn't take him seriously, he doesn't have a no. male companion in his life. No. He doesn't have a confidant yeah. to discuss this with. Which, it, again, that is a troubling aspect to me, that in a way he feels isolated so he can't properly discuss what's happened with anyone that's not affiliated like he can't really discuss it with the elves because they have their own viewpoint and such on it and any adult who wants to discuss it with is just yeah. going to look at him as if he's a bit there's crazy a, there's a much <laughs> better version of this movie within this movie where he sits down with judge reinhold's meal as calvin's other dad and does have a conversation Unfortunately, you do need that magic moment when Bernard brings their gifts that they didn't get from when they were kids that they're still holding on grudges mm. to for some reason as adults that have perfect wallets with which to buy things. Um, mm. So even in even if you wanted to reach out to Judge Reinhold, he's kind of trapped in the yes. question of why don't adults believe in Santa still in this universe where Santa clearly exists. It's a whole thing. It's it's a whole mashugana, as they say. Yes. Um, I will say as a last point to this, that from what I understand with the new series that's come out now, that it's sort of addressing that plot point in a way. Um, because as far as I'm understanding from it... Um, he's now on a quest to find a replacement. So apparently the clause does have ability to allow you to go and find a replacement yeah. if you feel that you want to retire. Yeah, none of them, <laughs> so. none of the clause does not say you have to die in order, you just have to pass it along. Uh, it's mm. quite the clause. Yeah. It's both legalistically ambiguous and also something you're stuck with once it happens. Uh, mm -hmm. I, yeah. I think, I think for me, before I talk about things I like, as, as a child of divorce, the third act, mm. even in this adventure, even in the whimsy, even in the way it resolves itself, the third yeah. act for me is really hard. There's some cute moments in act two that I really like, but like yeah. as a divorced kid, you know, the, the things about kidnapping, the burning of the papers in the fire when she accepts that her ex-husband is Santa, like there's some real ickiness there. And you cannot talk yep. about the movie in 2022 without acknowledging that's the ickiness. But then you also have to acknowledge, again, Tim Allen's brand is basically taking wise women and poking holes in, you know, the theology and the heart and wisdom they've got. The way he treats his wife in Home Improvement was awful. Like, she's going for her master's degree, and they spend the entire show basically heckling her for not being <laughs> the best stay-at-home mom ever. Um, and so I feel like uh, um, Laura gets a lot of the same thing that the the mom in Home Improvement gets, mm. and that's uh, that's that's that, that's hard to watch with age. I know people watch this movie and like it as an annual tradition, but that's really hard 
with age and with knowledge of who Tim Allen is to kind of continue to love and endorse a movie that, you know, for a divorced kid of almost any age, like this movie has a lot of yikes to it in a lot of mm. ways. And it's yeah. not good practice. Like there's a moment where the dad is like, we need to keep the secret from your mom and from everyone. Like that line itself is enough to put a big X in this movie for me and be like, oh no, that's not a good thing <laughs> to say. Don't say that, Tim Allen. Um, and yet it persists because you need Santa to be this figure of kindness and goodness. And I have a hard time pegging Tim Allen in, in that way anymore. <laughs> I think uh, sometimes you, have to, you just have to see it as a product of its time. Um, yeah. it, it's like the movie because... about where the kids buy their mom at Christmas time. They go to like a shopping center full of moms. Uh, but... So I found the name of this movie and it made me kind of rethink and retool how we could look at this film. Before I talk about the really great stuff I love aesthetically in the second and third act, there was a whole bunch of movies in the 90s that came out in America especially that were about the kids being smarter than the adults around them. So you've got a movie like Trading Mom, which is based on a book, I think, called Mommy Market, where three kids, unhappy with their mother, go to an underground shopping center, and they get three chances to find a new mom, and they end up with their original mom, obviously. You've got House Arrest, where where the five troubled kids all lock their parents in the basement, uh, which includes Jennifer Tilly in one of her first mom roles, which is amazing, because she just wants to be like the same age as her daughter. So you've got house arrest, you've got trading mom, and you can kind of think of the Santa Claus in the same way. If we look at the film from Charlie's point of view, it's his dad who is bumbling through life, um, who he kind of, we don't know if he wants to connect with them, but in the second and third movies, you see kind of how he learns to cry out. Uh, so if you think about this in terms of smart son with dumb parents gets everything a kid could wish for, by his dad becoming Santa, that might be a way to kind of save the icky portions of this movie if you look at it from Charlie's point of view. Because mm, from a kid's okay. point of view, he gets to see all the magic. There is nothing wrong with the things that happen other than people don't know how to be honest with each other, essentially. Mm. Um, you mm. never get the sense that Charlie wants his parents back together. You never get the sense that he hates no. Neil. You just get the sense that he loves his dad being Santa. The the really cute scene with him in his bedroom practicing to be the next Santa um, in the middle of the year with the chipmunk yes. Christmas song on. I actually kind of like that because mm. Charlie feels like a kid where you very rarely get to see joy. And so that is a moment of, mm. of joy where there's some maturity there, but it's not like it doesn't feel like the beginning of the movie in the first act where he's just like, oh, now I have to hang out with my dad. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> so I think maybe if you look at it as part of kind of that glut of smart kid, dumb parent movies, the Santa Claus is less mm. troublesome. But then you have a whole second act about the legality of divorce in 90s America that you have to get through in order to get to the joy of the third act. So it may not work, <laughs> but it may be less troublesome if you look at it through Charlie's mm. eyes. Indeed, or it might just it might just work if you are able to shut off your your mind to just thinking about things and just enjoy it for yeah what it is. I like this film because mm. of how it 
it keeps the elves human and relatively not creepy immortal gnome like beings. Uh, whereas like in yeah. Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, the claymation elves are kind of triangles with heads plopped on top. Um, <laughs> or with like the family guy Santa special road to the North Pole, where they're all these weird inbred cannibalistic sent to die elf families. Um, mm. This version of the Santa Claus is one of the few where the elves are vaguely adults. They look at it as a corporation. They don't feel like they're being exploited. Um, the scene with the elves breaking new Santa Claus, Scott Calvin, out of jail is very 90s, but in that 90s way where I kind of love it, like the first TMNT movie. Uh, with the, with the uh, with the Foot Clan having their like underground bunker of arcade shenanigans in like a very Fookian sort of way, um, mm. the the way that they did the elves really works for me because they do keep some mysticism. They give them kind of those pointed ears. They do have their own vaguely Eurocentric fantasy outfit stuff going on. But it does mm. feel very other in a good way. It feels like they live in their own world. It feels like they only really interact with the world when they need to presently. And I actually think that works aesthetically for the film. Uh, Bernard yes. is one of the best side characters. Uh, Bernard is up there for me with Max from The Grinch in, in a counterpoint to whatever else is going on in the movie. Um, I think Bernard is an amazing character. And I want to give you a fun fact about uh, David Krumholtz, who played Bernard. Um, David, okay. Krum David Krumholtz, in his adult career, would be in a TV show. He's been in a bunch of them. Uh, but this particular TV show ran for 13 episodes, and it was called Partners. And in this okay. TV show, he plays boss Joe Goodman. And Michael Urie and Brandon Routh um, plays a pair, uh, a, a gay couple, and I think Michael Urie works for him. And so uh, David Krumholtz has had a really interesting career, um, but Partners is one of those kind of like one-off, one-season queer-approving character uh, workplace dramedies that I wish more people had seen. Um, not just mm. because Brandon Routh it plays a really comfortable uh, gay character called Wyatt, uh, but David Krumholtz has <laughs> uh, had a really interesting kind of career trajectory, and I'm really glad that... Um, I'm really glad that this did not kill his career, the Santa Claus. I'm really glad he got no. to go on to do other things. And I'm glad he mm. reprised his role as Bernard in two and three. I don't know if he's going to be back for the Santa Clauses, but I'm really glad yes. we have uh, I'm really glad we yeah. have him doing the work still. Oh, are you not sure he's going to be back for the TV series? I have tried no. to not watch trailers because oh, okay. I find, especially after turning red i find trailers very misleading and i oh. would like to be pleasantly and hopefully surprised um which i have not been by disney oh. in quite time so i'm hoping for mm. good things okay hmm yes, yes. no Anyways, bernard bernard yes. is great uh bernard kind of yes. saves this movie from itself in the scenes the scene with bernard coming in and the very serious conversation in the end um, and basically going up to Judd Reinhold and being like, did we make the sweater? And like checking for a tag um, on the sweater that everybody has been dunking on. Like if Elves of the North Pole made the sweater, it's a good sweater. 
Um, <laughs> and so I, Bernard is probably one of the high points of the movie. Also, Mary Gross, who would go on or who before this, uh, Mary Gross has a cameo role as a teacher in this movie, if I remember correctly. Um, mm. So yes. it's nice to have a Sabrina the Teenage Witch connection to this film. So. Mm. Uh, it, there's always six degrees of separation for everything. Yep. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Um, the, I think how they do the aesthetic for the elves works incredibly well, since it it's such an incredible juxtaposition against the, against like almost like the drabness in the first yeah. act of New York and such, which it's rare to like see such drabness in New York when it's uh, usually portrayed like such a metropolitan and well, it's the adult you know, New York. They don't they don't go to art shows. Through. This is not an art show world, New York. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm sorry, you were gonna say. I was gonna say I also really like. Um, I'm pretty sure I didn't do any research on this, but I'm pretty sure. Um, all of the reindeer were CGI'd except for the up close scenes with Blitzen, which is more puppet work. And I always enjoy a movie that does really nice puppet work that fits in seamlessly. Um, and I feel mm. like, as much as I kind of dunk on Blitzen as the farting reindeer, which is supposed to be cute because <laughs> in the 90s that was humor, um, I think Blitzen <laughs> is done really well. And I think there was a lot of intention paid to how do we make the North Pole familiar, but yet kind of new. And I think the Santa Claus hits that mark. So by the time there are children lining up in July to sit on Scott Calvin's lap at the park, which yikes, um, <laughs> you can really believe mm -hmm. it because you know, we are interlopers in the world of magic within this world. It's, uh, it's very like Harry Dresden in that way where it's like bumping very close and you can't imagine yeah. how people have not noticed this happening before. Um, but, but if you turn your brain off, yeah. suspend your disbelief, it's fine, and it works, and it's hilarious. Until the point at the end of the film where, for some reason, they just say, ah, you know, screw this, let's just get yes. the magic sound open. Um, you, know. you know, it's famously burning legal documents make those legal documents go away. There are no extras, you know, famously in any way. Like, mm -hmm. you can just say, I'm not taking you to court anymore, and no discussion has to be had further. It's perfectly fine. There's not mm -hmm. any trouble for yeah. Scott Calvin and the perception that he might have kidnapped his child after a year of becoming Santa in some kind of psychosomatic break. That's fine. We're just going to gloss over all of that so we get our magic happy ending for Calvin. That's why you have to look at it through Calvin's point of view, I think, because if you start doing it in your adult brain, it really does become troubling the more, like the avalanche does not stop. You kind of have to look at it through Calvin's yeah. brain in order to make it work. Yeah, I mean, you could easily, um, like, for example, the scenes of his work where like people are growing increasingly concerned that he's having some form of mental breakdown as his appearance is like rapidly uh fluctuating and, cha and oh, changing. I mean, I mean what's interesting is that in the first scene at the company Christmas party where we see them mm. kind of like in that hotel, he has this almost American psycho Patrick Bateman quality to him. And when next mm. we see him at work having that big meltdown over the tank, he's already putting on weight. Um 
they have that scene with the Jeopardy music where he's like eating hot fudge right out of a tin, which is played for lulls, but like without like people laughing about it. Like it's clear there's like a break happening here mentally. And like, I can't blame his job for like wanting him to take a vacation. Cause like, if I saw that in my workplace, yeah, that's a cry for <laughs> help. If you took those scenes and you snipped them out of the movie and you put them together in a, in a video and then yeah. like edited slightly like the lighting and the music background and such, you could probably create um, something that like invokes a lot of worrying emotions. I mean, there's two movies happening. <laughs> it really is a world yes. within a world film because it's two movies. On the one hand, you've got you know, this hen tech dad who has to become Santa and he's getting like mm. these boxes delivered to his house with everyone's name in the world on them. But then you've also got the horror movie aspect of Scott Calvin, the toy businessman having a mental breakdown. Um, and only the kids mm. can tell he's Santa. Like the whole scene with him, like what do you want for with him accepting his role in the park in July? wearing red yeah. with a full white beard like <laughs> they have to cut away before they show any parents running up and going what are you doing with my kid you weirdo <laughs> um, yes and the fact that they never send a character like bernard down to try to ease this tension even though they've apparently had this happen before is one plot mm -hmm. hole they could technically fix in the show pretty easily uh, so if you look at uh, the second mm. act it does fall apart because if if they know this is a thing they have to do, instead of just sending the boxes, why not send yep. Bernard down, like, dressed more humanly, and have him, like, help Scott Calvin plan the end so that he can tie up loose ends and there's someone else there, you know? It's, like, like the it, second act is it, the hard act, because this is, like, the divorce subplot. The second act is very hard in mm -hmm. this film in a lot of ways. I mean, what you say does make a huge amount of logical sense, actually, when you think about it. But, you know, why is he being left to his own devices to put his affairs in order when they're asking him to take on this incredibly unique role? Is there no one from the elves that can come along and be sort of like uh, even just a... a offering advice you know uh, and there isn't really any indication that he has much contact yeah. with the elves during this period um they just sort of appear when they need to so i think this is kind of an interesting way to talk about and circle back um, yeah. to the idea of scott calvin's loneliness i'm not saying scott is you know in the right here i'm not saying he didn't need to work on himself i'm I, i'm saying in 94 this is part of the archetype of the bumbling man that can be made better but i think here in act two where the movie is hardest for me it's also where scott is the most alone and he mm. has to make decisions and he has to learn to accept this role all by himself he doesn't have male friends we don't even see him talking to his wife outside of with lawyers he doesn't have anybody but his son who desperately wants him to be santa um and that's when they start having this connection so there's a much different version of this movie just in this second act and mm. it's a very startling portrayal of kind of the loneliness of men in 1994 yeah. america as opposed to like friends where in 94 america and friends 
Like they have each other. They even have the yes. women to talk to, frankly. It's not Calvin has no one. And I'm not saying Scott is perfect. I'm saying by the time we get to uh, by the time mm. we get to Santa Claus two, and he's finding the woman who's the principal of the school to fall in love with. It's very clear in Santa Claus one he desperately needs at least someone to talk to who is his equal and is not an elf and is not his son because he doesn't yes. have any friends he has colleagues but he doesn't really have anybody in this mm-hmm. movie Scott navigates this world pretty alone um, yeah and if it was if it had not been Tim Allen if it had been Robin Williams or a different actor they might have brought something into the role that would have made it really much harder or maybe easier. I don't know what that would have looked like. I don't know what I want from that act either. This is true. I yeah. just know the loneliness of Scott Calvin. The, the more you think about the film, the more the loneliness of Scott Calvin starts to come into clear reflection of this has to be yes. movie from Charlie's point of view, or this is about, you know, men in, in 90s middle America and how alone mm-hmm. they are. Like and it, it it starts to take yes. the Christmassy feeling out of the film to talk about. It. <laughs> yeah, it really does make it seem like a cry for help more than anything else. Indeed, oh, it's no, and it comes back round to what I was saying before. Like the, to me, the most troubling aspect is how he feels trapped within this um, magical contract almost, and he feels he has to. Um, you know be santa or he's going to ruin it for everyone and i think that aspect of loneliness ties into this because of the fact that he as i say he has no one to talk to about this and such yeah. and it it is really troubling in yeah. a sense he doesn't um, even get like a but... sexy fa- santa phase because like when we think about santa now especially <laughs> in the art universe like there's always like sexy santa or rise of the guardians daddy santa he goes right yeah. from like Tim Allen, Scott Calvin, Santa to mm-hmm. like super old uh, grandpa Santa. Like, there's no sexy Santa aspect. Yeah. But then that wasn't Tim Allen either. So, and I think to be honest, that that's a worrying thing that we haven't really t- talked about. The fact is, like, and Scott Calvin didn't realize this when he was agreeing to all this that he would actually start physically transforming into the Santa archetype. And because clearly he's worried about it because he's he he keeps um noticing the changes to his appearance and such and I think there might be even some psychological changes to his temperament because he starts like accepting the role and well, such. Well, yeah, so and in and in Santa Claus two, he spends most yeah. of the movie as Scott Calvin. He doesn't hmm. spend it dressed as Santa. And in Santa Claus three, he does like a dual role, but he spends most of Santa Claus three again as Scott. Except for when I, I don't know if he actually plays the toy Santa that tries to take over um, the North Pole or not in Santa Claus Three because mm. I've done no deep dive for that because it's an awful movie. Um, but it, it's one of those mm. things where in the subsequent movies Tim Allen does not really play Santa Claus for that long. Um, mm. They certainly don't do that kind of CGI mirror magic they did in this movie where he tries shaving. And then he has a beard like three minutes later, uh, which mm. is a funny scene. Three also, later. Yeah, it's a funny scene, but it's also very sad because if you look at it through the men are mm. lonely archetype of this film, it's not it's not a great it's not great. It doesn't get better the more layers you fill back. No, 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 no. I don't want to use a heavy term, but the lack of consent 
yeah. to his physical changes worries me. But well, when he picked um, up the card and he put on mm. the suit, he didn't have an idea he was signing up to be Santa. So if you want to talk about yeah. a lack of consent, the very notion yeah. of what the card said itself is a problem. Uh, but this mm. is something that um, Family Guy has wrote to North Pole does really interesting the idea of consent the idea of who santa is the idea of how we reflect ourselves onto santa and what christmas means um so this santa claus movie could actually be really paired well with uh with the road to north pole musical episode um of family guy which i do not say very often because i normally don't recommend family guy <laughs> but i think if we're looking at if you really have to pull the thread of is Santa a real person, the Santa Claus, the film, paired pairs well with the road to the North Pole in the concept of is Santa Claus real and what does he do and what is he a reflection of? Because if we're yeah. talking about Santa Claus as the reflection of male loneliness in, ni in 90s, and maybe that's a script they didn't even know they were writing. Um, they may not have even known they were creating it. Just the divorce subplot is an easy way to get Scott Calvin alone, basically. So there's no mm -hmm. real thread to Charlie except for, you know, the perception of kidnapping. But like that is a big thing in this movie. The whole thorough act is built around this concept of, holy crap, this yeah. this dad that's gone off the deep end has kidnapped his kid. Like that, mm. that is a whole. That is the subplot. Is that that's what he's being arrested for is that yeah i cannot i the... <laughs> i cannot say enough about that that is I mean, the subplot of the third act of this film yep and that's why you have all the police and the television crews and such outside the house and then they witness the sleigh rising majestically um and doesn't it also like summon lots of children or is it the case or is it rather the parents have dragged their children out into the into the winter cold to I mean, it's, watch the crazy kidnapping. Well, this is this is where you kind of have to think about it, and you have to start thinking: Do I look yeah. at it through the kids' eyes or not? Because if it's a fairy tale for yeah. kids about a divorced dad becoming Santa, like it is in uh, Trading Mom or House Arrest, then you can't yeah. think about it from the implications of what this is, is what this looks like for adults. Um, yes. And having having mm. kids outside the house going, you can't arrest Santa in their whiny eight year old voices. <laughs> like that's the only way it works is if you if you look at it through Charlie's eyes. Yeah. Because for him, this is Santa. This isn't his dad having a mental break. This is Santa. Yeah. This... Mm. Okay, so going back to the more positive aspects of the film. Um, to bring I promise bit, we're, to bring we're not we're not crapping on your holiday season. I promise. If you love this movie, good <laughs> for you. It's just troubling yes. the more you talk about it. Like I don't, mm. we don't want to end season one on a negative note. That that is true. That would no. be. The elves totally save the film by like their existence, their actions, all the little funny witticisms and such. They say um, we haven't even discussed the elf SWAT team yet uh i love the elf squad team i think they're amazing and i think uh because th they actually come back I, I it's not them exactly but the concept of this elf squad team comes back there's a disney short i think called um safe and landing which is about these two elf squad members that go after santa and basically clean up after him i think 
And so okay. like, this did start a Disney tradition of like the elf SWAT team <laughs> that makes things work. And I kind of love that. I love it as much mm. as I love the concept of Santa on a tank. Like like he's selling like he's selling tanks and Toyotas on or something. Um, it's just it's an absurd enough concept that the more you think about it, the more it makes me chuckle. And I kind yes. of wonder why Disney didn't release that as a toy option when the movie came out. Because I cannot imagine anything yeah. better than a series of McDonald's Happy Meal toys featuring Santa on a tank in different colors. Like it just writes itself practically. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. And what I quite like about this little elf SWAT team, which is called Elves um, yes. as well, so just add a little bit of confusion to it. Um, like, it feels to me like a very perfect encapsulation of, like, almost like a child's imagination sort of thing, because you've got elves and they're basically like little action heroes and they're, you know, they're going into action and they're off to save Christmas and everything. And it's a perfect little piece of childhood imagination right smack bang in the middle of the film. And it adds a nice bit of um, like hilarity yeah. to the moment. And I think that it's part of something this movie does really well. There's a theatrical term that I really like um, and you see it in Panto a lot actually. Uh, yeah. Verisimilitude where everything is kind of at its most perfect form. So like you're going to a marketplace, but there's only the right amount of people there. and There's no trash on the floor. I feel like mm. the Santa Claus has a lot of really great verisimilitude to it. Um, they make, uh, they make a really big point of making sure that um, Scott Calvin's house isn't overly Christmassy. They make a really big point of when he's at work, it has that grayness to it. Um, when he's in a law office, they stick with the color palettes. Um, I think there's something really great about the design of this movie overall and making sure when you're in a space, you know the kind of space it is and what it's used for. Um, even yeah. though Neil and Laura don't necessarily believe in Santa, they still honor their traditions by decorating their house. They don't hate Christmas. You know, it's not no, that no, type no. of movie. Um, it's, it's, no. Even the scene at the park works because it works on its own expectations. And it really is about the fact this is a fantasy movie. They have to kind of look at as a fantasy movie, a fairy tale and a fable, which isn't bad. And in 94, no. it is a product of 1994. There's nothing we can yes, do about yes. it. Even if you remade it, the 94 movie with Tim Allen would still exist. And in its imperfections, it's a serviceable nod to the holidays. It's not like the Grinch Before yeah. Christmas live action, which is trying to like, both rewrite mm. and like make this big to do about um, its main character. It's just kind of a nice Christmas movie where you can sit through it and as long as you don't yes. think about it too hard, it's a really nice way to get through your evening with your family. Yeah. Instead of like hitting them over the head with something. Exactly. I think this might be an example where like we're being a bit too critical thinking about something. Yes, there's troubling aspects in if you really do break it down. But at the end of the day, a lot of people aren't going to sit there and examine every nuance to detail um, of the film. Rather, they're going to look at it at this, from the surface perspective. 
of it. And when you look at it from the surface perspective, it is about a troubled dad, his relationship with his son, um, and then them getting caught up in this fantastical um, magical adventure, which actually does, you know, at the end of the day, it does help repair the relationships that between this fractured family at the end of the day like in a very unusual way but it does help bring them back closer together and in i think does make them a bit more happy than they were previously and for 94 it's a good use of puppet a good use of cgi it's an appropriate yeah. use of technology um and the theatrical trailer posters i actually kind of like them i like the because mm. it's both um it both gives you a sense of movement and of scale, and yeah. it does show you kind of what this 90s version of a Santa sleigh looks like, which I like. It's like the Coca-Cola yes. polar bears. Um, you either <laughs> really love them or you're really troubled by the implications. Um, okay, so I think that's good. Uh, so that'll be what we say about the Santa Claus um, before we finish up for the season, because we're going to finish up um, for the year. Uh, when you're When you're listening to this over the holidays, we're going to take a little bit of a break. Um, while we're on break, uh, Magnus, is there anything that you're going to be uh, watching or listening to uh, that you'd like other people to watch or listen to as well? Ooh, well, we're going to be re-watching a bunch of classics at the second. Um, so, are, are, you, are, the, are you being served Christmas episode where they're all in leotards at the, at the final scene? Because that, that's my classic <laughs> British... We, we, sorry, are you being served? Yeah, are you being served? They have a Christmas episode where they do a panto yes. at the end of it, and they're all wearing leotards uh, and tights because they're doing like a Nutcracker thing. I think, yes, I could re-watch that. Um, that is a classic. I do enjoy watching the Christmas specials of various things. Um, so, there, yeah, there is that as an example. Um, we'll be watching Little Lord Fondle Fondleroy. I think I got the, did I get the name right? Little Lord Fondleroy, which is one of my partner's favorite little Christmas movies. Um, well, it's not a Christmas movie per se, but he likes to rewatch it at Christmas, if that makes sense. No, that's fine. Yeah. Um, we'll rewatch um, Whitney's Cinderella again um, because it's just a per it's a perfect little panto esque film to watch and the fact that they've announced that it's being tied in to descendants now makes me very interested to revisit again <laughs> is this a revelation uh, yeah well i haven't kept up on descendants i did appreciate cheyenne jackson in a blue mohawk as uh as hades but it's not it's just one of those things where i'm just a little out of the age bracket for that kind of thing um but i appreciate it so yeah, it, there'll be a lot of classics rewatching at the second. What about your good self? Um, for the holidays, uh, I always do enjoy White Christmas, uh, which mm. some years I take a break from it because I watch it throughout the year. So White Christmas is a favorite. Uh, Meet Me in St. Louis, which is a Vincent Minnelli production uh, where Judy Garland uh, does her first rendition of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas uh, with Margaret O'Brien crying in the snow is amazing. Mm. Um, and of course, The Holiday with Kate Winslet and Cameron Diaz, which I just heard a rumor about today that they were thinking of making a sequel with the two of them. Ooh. And I am head over heels for the idea of that, like them like vacationing somewhere, getting their group back. Like, I'm for it. 
Um, mm, I, I also do love uh, the Great British Bake Off um, holiday specials. I love watching them. Um, I have watched all the ones they have. I am fairly excited because even though old Great British Bake Offs uh, with Mel and Sue and Mary were taken off of Netflix, there are rumors mm. that uh, the Roku channel has bought all the old seasons, so I will be able to watch them again, which will be lovely. Um, I get a lot of joy out of the classics. Uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, I think, is one of my favorites. Um, the live-action Grinch is something I absolutely do love. Um, I think um, it is not a perfect movie by any stretch either, but I think as Grinch mythos goes, it's probably one of the best examples of a reboot and a reckoning with what it is. Um, I also, mm. oh, here's what I love. I introduced someone this year to Fanny Craddock's um, Christmas specials because you can find them on YouTube. And Fanny Craddock talking about going to your neighbor's garden and stealing holly for a Christmas pudding <laughs> garnish. Just, I, if I was ever to do Snatch Game, Fanny Craddock would be the character that I would do Snatch Game with in like a universe oh. where I'm on Drag Race. I oh, adore does. Fanny Craddock and she is my favorite thing to introduce people to at Christmas time. Um, very out there. I, the, mm. the Joan Crawford of the kitchen. It's a, it's amazing. I also think anyone looking for recommendations for the holidays that want to do something BBC, the Vicar of Dibley, their holiday episodes for Vicar of Dibley have I've always oh. been great there. Uh, the episode where Alice gives birth in the live nativity is phenomenal. Um, and of course, anything, um, anything with the Vicar of Dibley. It's, it's a phenomenal little show. Um, and I appreciate, uh, I used to watch a lot of the Doctor Who Christmas specials, but I kind of got out of, the, uh, out of the Doctor Who circuit a few years back. But uh, the ones that I saw with, uh, with Tennant were just mm. phenomenal. So, yeah. Yes. Oh, indeed. So, wow, it's been quite a year, though. Yes, this is the end of season one. We started with Golden Mm. Girls and we end with slam dunking on Tim Allen, which I really feel like Mm. is the gay trajectory. So um, (laughs) I'm very excited. I no matter. So we've been doing this for a year. Every time I tell people the name of our podcast, everything is gay. I always get a chuckle um, out of people and I'm excited to continue that chuckle into year two uh, with whatever Mm. we end up talking about. But I am excited to get this episode out to everyone um, mm. and i hope everyone has a great holiday season no matter what holiday you celebrate um, or none mm. at all even if it's just winter time for you um, remember if you are burning a goat made out of straw have some of gloves or things around and make sure you've got a fire extinguisher um, just in case uh, the straw goat comes to life and decides to run away from you while on fire it would be very inconvenient <laughs> um, I want to thank everyone for joining us for this year of Mm -hmm. wisdom, this year of research, this year of pop culture, and we'll definitely be back for season two, um, is the plan, unless one of us is raptured, which is then a whole host of other issues to consider. (laughs) And then we'll be doing the Heavenly Cast. It's true. Yes. (laughs) Au revoir, everyone. Thank you, everyone, and I hope you have a great holiday season.